Does it always take that long? Yeah. No, that's that's longer than it normally takes, but you it just like you have to just get it at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> that Did was like, not like the hand movement that you were doing there for a second. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh. Huh. Hey everyone, welcome to Two Takes on Film, the only podcast that is open 24-7. My name is Wyatt Croy, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Heather Davenport. Hello. Heather and I are two best of friends who love talking about all things movies, so if that sounds interesting to you, make sure to like and follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. With that being said, we've got a great episode for you today uh, that's going to be kicked off by Heather. Heather, what do you have for us this fine morning slash evening slash whenever mm. people are listening? We are outside of time. So whenever you find us, that is where we are. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I was reflecting back um, to a text that you sent me last week, I believe. Right. And the text says, I do feel like it's important for you to know that there is a significant push on film Twitter for the next Knives Out film to be a Christmas slash holiday special where every character but Benoit Blanc is a puppet. And you sent that and I saw it a little bit late um, and I responded to it and and just without any further context than that text that you sent, I responded and I said, oh, I think I hate that. <laughs> to which you which responded <laughs> you responded in a very um shocked and and I I personally was shocked at how shocked you were and you said that you thought that I would love that idea uh-huh. and I told you that I actually hate puppets. Um, so so thus began a conversation of puppets, Muppets, just just all of that surrounding um the potential of this holiday special yeah. and and you were saying that that this is not like a formal suggestion right like this is just people no, on twitter is... who are saying that could be fun to yep. have a holiday special benoit blanc and the muppets and then multiple people just kind of talking about that and the idea of it growing again solely amongst film twitter people sure, not sure. people of actual uh influence, <laughs> influence. yeah <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah well um yeah that just got me thinking one of the films that we're going to be reviewing today is of course glass onion which is the second film in the knives out trilogy universe? Now, but trilogy potentially more yeah yeah um which they're has even been some controversy around that the fact that knives out the title is specifically on glass onion so i don't uh-huh. want to get ahead of that if you're going to talk about that but um given this idea that we're going to be talking about glass onion we had this conversation about potentially benoit blanc doing something with the muppets i thought what better way to start our episode than to give you a quiz to give the people a quiz from our friends at BuzzFeed, of course, new year, but we still, we thrive on that partnership with our BuzzFeed quizzes. Gotta love it. Um, and the title of this quiz is everyone has a Muppet that matches their personality. Here's yours. You know that BuzzFeed loves a good subtitle. This is, it's the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational quiz you'll ever take and I I knew that you would just love that so are you ready to get into it and just find out which Muppet matches your personality I'm so ready yeah all right so I'm gonna ask you a question and then I'm gonna list out a few options for you (laughs) as quizzes that's how quizzes work as answers sure um but this first question is a little bit tricky because there we don't have a a visual element to this podcast right now um so i'm just going to explain it to you the first question is asking you to pick a pattern so i'm going to describe the patterns to you okay 
And I just okay. want you to like close your eyes, visualize what I'm explaining mm. to you. Okay. The first option is going to be like bluish teal, like squiggly lines, a mm. bunch of squiggly lines. Mm-hmm. The second option is going to be like a stained glass mosaic, lots of blues, but like a line, like a little bit of a rainbow, but a very stained glass. The third option is going to be yellow and orange dots, but think of like, um, you know, those, I don't know what they're called when you like focus on a dot, but then your eye, like once it, you know, freaks out a little bit, it actually sees a different picture. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has a specific name, those types of uh pictures, it's like Anyways. optical illusion yeah, or the ones of... where you, yeah, okay, I see what you mean, where but you just... kind of almost go cross eyed a little bit, totally. Like, yes, yeah. imagine that with like yellow and orange dots, okay, okay. Um, option number four is going to be a paisley design, uh, with some, some bright red, some yellow, some green, all the colors. Your fifth option is going to be a black background with white dots of um, uh, descending sizes, if that's the proper way to say it. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of white dots, they're getting smaller towards the bottom of the black square. And then the sixth and final option, (laughs) I don't really know how to describe it. It's it's giving me... um, art installation, white circles with uh, uh, salmon and teal and pinks circles. Okay. Okay. So so out of those, pick a pattern. I'm going to go with option. uh, Question for option one. Are these squiggly lines moving in like a similar direction? Are they spiraling out from a... it's it's a uniform squiggle it's just line after line after line of a down squiggle up squiggle down squiggle up squiggle imagine you're on a bumpy road Uh and you're like whoa that's what the pattern looks like okay well that didn't sound great (laughs) um i'm gonna go with option three the optical illusion okay awesome i love that okay uh, I've asked you this question before in other quizzes, but let's see what you say this time. What word best describes, oh, sorry, I apologize. What word describes your best quality? Creative, smart, funny, stylish, cool, or honest? Hmm. Um, have you asked me this exact question before? I mean, a variation of it for sure. What have I answered in the past? Creative? I don't know. I genuinely think you are all of these things. So I don't think you could pick a bad one. Thank you. Obviously not humble. Um, I'm going to well, say. It's not an option. Never. Never is. I'm going to say funny because I'm hilarious. I think that's a good choice for you. Thank Ooh, you. what word describes your biggest flaw? Bossy, awkward, flaky, impatient. Aloof or corny? Bossy. Flaky, awkward. Awkward. Impatient. impatient aloof, aloof or corny? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. Bossy. Mm. Maybe bossy. Yeah. Right. I can micromanage a lot. Sure. Okay. Now I'm going to need you to pick a drink. Your options are root beer, whiskey, tea champagne chocolate milk or a martini Ooh, martini Ooh, that's not what i thought you were gonna pick what did you think i was gonna pick i thought you were gonna pick whiskey yeah yeah i was going to pick whiskey until martini came into Mm, the picture all right yeah pick a snack Mm -hmm. brownies pretzels cookies macarons popcorn or avocado toast Man, I was close to saying pretzels because I'm a salty guy, but popcorn for sure. No denying it. If you were a celebrity, what would you be famous for? Acting, directing, music, social media, game show hosting, or I don't want to be famous. Man, I I would love to say directing. Yeah. But being honest with myself. Yeah. I think I'd I'd shoot for directing. Maybe yeah. I'd even like try to act a little, try to Ooh. model a little. 
but I'd like not quite hit it. And I'd end okay. up as like a B tier game show host <laughs> on, <laughs> on like the game show network. So I'm going to say game show host. Honestly, I would love to host a game show. I would love to host a game show too. I think Don't it would be a wrong. blast. And yeah. I feel like game show hosts can really like find their thing, find their niche. Um, it's, I guess it's a game show. There's a show on Netflix called The Circle, and I love the host of that show. She is hilarious. She makes the show. That's, yeah, that's my plug. As a it, host, but... you make or break the show. There's, there's shows I watch in spite of the host, and then there's shows I watch because of the host. Sure. I want to yeah. be the next Jeff Probst. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Just kidding. I'm sorry, Jeff. I could never even come close. <laughs> but, you know. I'll try. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a guy. Speaking of TV shows, pick a TV show. Black Mirror, 30 Rock, The Crown, Mad Men, Friends, or RuPaul's Drag Race? Mm, man, this is tough. I'd say it's between 30 Rock or Mad Men. I think Mad Men is probably... We've talked about this. I think it's probably the best show ever made. Yeah. Best written show ever. I'm going to say 30 Rock because, you know, oh. these are the Muppets. You can't take them too seriously. Sure. Also, I just, every time I think of or come into contact with the crown, I cannot help but giggle at your tweet after the queen died when you tweeted. Oh, big spoilers. <laughs> big yeah. spoiler for the crown season five. Oh, <laughs> killed me. Mm. all right well that's we just have... reinforcing that funny answer <laughs> funny you know the way to go uh all right well we have an answer it was a pretty short quiz today i have um, google out because honestly outside of the main crew i don't know the Muppets well this is very well. this you're gonna know this guy all right <gasps> you got fozzy bear oh okay do you Dang, know i thought is? i got kermit or something oh, i do know sorry. who that is here's the description you are a kind soul and a great friend. You always have a word of encouragement for anyone who's feeling a little down and you love to make people smile. You are also braver and stronger than most people give you credit for. <laughs> You're not afraid to go out of your own comfort zone and try something new and you push others to live their best lives too. Wow. That's going to make me emotional. Wow. That's that beautiful. is easily the most complimentary buzzfeed answer that i've ever received yeah. on this show and it's also not like, even not even snarky not even no it's not it's there's no backhandedness to it beautiful wow that is very kind i i would not say that's true <laughs> for most of it especially the beginning when it's all positive I'm, i feel like i'm a pretty pessimistic person so Oh, uh, yeah. But I'll take it. I'll take it. I love Fuzzy Bear. That's great. Uh, I'm not going to try to pump you up. BuzzFeed already tried to pump you up. So if you don't accept it, you they don't really accept did. it. But No, I'll take it. I'll accept it. Okay. Well, that is the Muppet that matches your personality. I guess we'll just have to wait and see if uh, Benoit Blanc can partner up with some Muppets this upcoming Christmas. Um, Look, I just think that you're missing the vision here, Heather. <laughs> You've seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. No, no we just talked we, about this. You have not. Have. Yeah. <laughs> but think of the humor of that. But Benoit Blanc in in the role of like Bob Hoskins surrounded. And it doesn't have to be the Muppets, just puppets in general. They can come up with their own creations. It but could literally no be way, the same. No way are they going to put Benoit Blanc with some unnamed puppet. They're going to go full Muppet. What if they did similar to like Glass Onion type characters? Think about the ridiculousness of Knives Out or Glass Onion characters. Yeah. They would make for good puppets. They're all uber rich, uber eccentric. You could literally have a puppet and just actually name them Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. And just that's the actual character. Like it's it's not even a, a character. It's just Drew Barrymore as a puppet. As a puppet. Movie. Yeah. That sounds hilarious. And Netflix is the perfect perfect place to do like an hour-long christmas special you know sure. you don't have to throw it in theaters or anything mm -hmm. like that it just gets mm -hmm. released on the platform yeah. i think it would be so so funny well as i told you i was more open to a shorter holiday special than i was a full-fledged movie i said i yeah. would not be down for a full-length movie um i i just i don't get the hype with puppets i don't get it i don't understand especially when it's in like <laughs> more of an adult context I just don't, but I don't think it has to be adult though. 
Like it doesn't have to be for little kids. Yeah. But like, think about, and I love the idea of it just not being explained ever, like it fully being a member of the Knives Out universe, a part of that world, but never being explained why, you know, it's not like, oh, at the end we see Benoit Blanc was like tripping balls the whole time or like this was a weird fever dream on Christmas Eve. Like, no, this is just, this is just one of another story. And we're just supposed to accept it. Yeah. The life of Benoit Blanc. I think that'd be so funny. Mm, well, I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe that could that could be your directorial debut. You could direct it. Mm, yeah, maybe we'll see. Mm. We'll see if, if Survivor doesn't come calling in the next, you know, <laughs> couple the next, weeks. Here, the then... next Jeff Probst doesn't work out. Then yeah, direct. I'm still going for it. I need to be on movie. Survivor first. Ugh. Yeah, I what do feel like I do what feel like that would be a natural transition for you to go on the show, become a fan favorite, cult classic. Uh-huh. Wyatt Croy, and then something happens to Jeff one day, and you're a natural, natural fit. Yeah, spend the whole season like doing Jeff Probst like impersonation, like for my confessionals and stuff with the camera. Well, I don't know. I don't want to replace him necessarily. You know, Mm. like I think Ken Jennings has done like a good job of being a likable successor to um, Alex Trebek without totally replacing him. So maybe something like that, and maybe I do become a fan favorite, and I make it to you know, final five, final four. And then we have a challenge where we're slingshotting coconuts and mine goes a little haywire and mm. Jeff has an accident and, mm. you know, falls down a cliff and gets a boo-boo and, and, you know, Oops. they say, well, how are we going to finish the season without the host? And I, and I, I say, you know, I will give up immunity. Yes. yes. I will give up final four to step out of the competition and host the show because I love you role. so much. Yeah. And then they'll get to the final um three and and the the whole jury will say we don't want to vote for any of them you're our hero and and not only are you the new host but we're going to give you the million dollars as well and i'll say no 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 no. i'm going to donate it to charity but negotiate a new salary of course for being uh the host that is well above a million dollars a year so (laughs) but i mean who knows who knows anything could just a thought just a thought and if that is what happens i'm not saying any of it was purposeful i'm just uh yeah good at predicting the future Sure. Hey, why are coconuts? You just never know. You, can't you never do. Them. No. They, yeah. Coconuts do kill a good amount of people every year. Uh, oh, usually I don't not, doubt it. Usually not coming out of slingshots, but. Uh, In what other way? I feel like that's falling like out the, of primary, trees. the primary way that people get hit. I, I, I would disagree. I don't know if you, you do live near beaches. How often do you see people slingshotting <laughs> coconuts around? <laughs> Beaches here don't have that's true. That's true. Coconuts Southern California. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a bunch of coconuts uh, chilling in Newport. <laughs> well, they they grow on palm trees, Heather. Do you not know <laughs> how coconuts work? I know. Goodness gracious. I know they do. Well, with that being said, we are going to move on to uh, my review of Glass Onion, a knives out mystery. Now, you talked earlier about there being uh, a controversy in terms of the name having that mm. in there. I actually looked it up. Some sources have it listed as purely glass onion. Yeah. And then like the log line on the poster says a nice out mystery. Some sources do title it glass onion, a knives out mystery. I actually haven't seen much. Is there, a, is there a massive controversy? Explain that to me. What have you seen? So it was from, Ryan Johnson himself, um, feeling frustrated that he even, he, I don't think he wanted Knives Out to be associated with it. I think he wanted it to be its standalone, like its own thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was a Netflix decision or I'm assuming it was a Netflix decision and probably was to, you know, just get it on people's radar that this is from. I don't know. I don't know what fully what the reasoning behind it. It's is. purely it's purely name association with a movie yeah. that they really liked, you know. Yeah. And then but, and then of course seeing the trailer and realizing, oh, that's the same character, sure. which they might they might not even realize, sure. but they might not even watch the trailer if they don't see. Oh, this is like a nice totally. out sequel. Yeah. So I can get it, but he I haven't seen like other controversy around it. I had just seen that he specifically has mentioned that he was frustrated that he had to attach that. Um, and of course, he has another film coming out with Natasha Leone. And that, mm-hmm. as far as I know, does not have knives out attached to it. 
correct? No, no, no. Yeah. That's not at all. Which I guess Benoit Blanc isn't in it. So I guess that makes sense. But anywho, that's all. That was the, what I had seen about it. Yeah, no, that has, that has nothing to do um, with this as, as far as I'm aware. Um, But yeah. Okay. So, so uh, Ryan Johnson, the director of this film, uh, he directed a a movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt called Brick back in the day. He directed Looper again with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. Uh, and then very famously helmed Star Wars The Last Jedi, which was quite a divisive mm-hmm. uh, divisive film in the Star Wars fan base, amongst the Star Wars fan base. He has been known throughout his career for, for two things. One, being a master of the kind of crime whodunit genre. Yeah. And then two, constantly subverting expectations. That's kind of always what he's aiming to do with his movies, whether it be uh like a high school set crime drama like brick whether it be a like bigger budget larger scale action sci-fi movie like looper or whether it be a little literal franchise tentpole like star wars the last jedi mm-hmm. he's constantly trying to kind of switch up what the audience expects what they think will happen with something fresh with his take or deconstruction of it and that can go really well or can and it can, or it can go really wrong like we saw uh, with Star Wars. Personally, I don't think that The Last Jedi is a bad movie by any means. I'm not nearly as passionate. I'm not nearly passionate enough about Star Wars to hate it or love it that much, but uh, people did not like his take on the Star Wars universe. But it seems like he struck gold in 2019 when he directed Knives Out. It was kind of a classic Clue-inspired whodunit movie starring a whole cast of ultra famous actors mm-hmm. uh in this this very um what appeared to be very standard retro classic whodunit mystery of the patriarch of a family dying under suspicious circumstances and everyone in the family and involved with the family trying to figure out who might have done this why would they want to do this uh, and that starred, like I said, a whole bunch of people, but at the center of the film, well, not at the center of the story, but at the at the center of the film was Daniel Craig as Detective Benoit Blanc, uh, this this Southern uh, detective with this thick as molasses accent who comes in and he's this famed detective in this world and he solves the mystery and is just this absolutely entertaining character. It's so much fun to see Daniel Craig kind of uh shedding his franchise weights of james bond and Mm -hmm. all that and just being able to say i have a lot of money and everyone knows i'm a good actor (laughs) i'm gonna do what i want and do a really fun and really entertaining role like you could not have you could not have convinced me going into 2019 that probably the most comedic genius thing in any film i was gonna see in all that year was gonna be daniel craig doing a like southern texas accent and yet Mm -hmm. it was just his line delivery and performance and the way the script is written obviously is is hilariously witty and sharp uh but then uh, i think his performance just capitalized on it and it was a hit it was a sensation people loved the movie Mm -hmm. and were immediately dying for more mysteries from ryan johnson and so netflix took advantage of that and they immediately picked up two sequels two knives out um at the time just recognized as knives out two and knives out three essentially Mm -hmm. then later we learned that johnson's plans with it were to make individual films for each one with the only connection really being the character of detective benoit blanc being the detective going around and and kind of solving these mysteries and i i love these movies but even if i didn't i'm just so happy this exists Hmm. it's such a talented director a director who who has the the pull to get big budgets like this, mm-hmm. making completely original stories that people love seeing. It's picked up by a major distributor like Netflix, obviously, the, probably sure. the most prominent name in visual media right now. Um, I just love the fact that they're getting made, that they're continuing to invest a lot of money into it and and making them you know, allowing him to really run wild with his ideas and make them high quality. Um, obviously, there might be some like control aspects there that they're still fighting over with titling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I personally like the idea that they are just their own movies. They don't need to be called a Knives Out mystery, especially just because that's the first in a franchise. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean that like 
Knives Out, I'm sure in Johnson's mind and in my mind, is forever associated with Anna Darmus and Jamie right. Lee Curtis and, and Chris Evans yeah. and those characters of the of the Thronbies in that family. Mm-hmm. Not with Benoit Blanc's various other adventures. Glass mm-hmm. Onion will always be associated with Edward Norton and Janelle Monet and mm-hmm. and Miles Braun, who is this uh uh this Elon Musk tech esque figure um that Edward Norton plays in the film not with Chris Evans or the Thrombies at all. So, totally. you know, I, I do like the idea of them being separate, but obviously everything is about franchises and connections and drawing people in based off, you know, material they already know they love. Um, I think I'm just grateful that enough people saw Knives Out. It could have mm-hmm. tanked, like it, it could, no one could have seen it, but it seems like word of mouth went around that it made enough money that enough people recognize that they really like that movie and, and want to see more from the universe. So we get, a few years later, it's three years later now, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, starring again Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, uh, who is on his latest uh, detective case when he gets invited by Miles Braun, like I said, kind of this tech, elusive tech billionaire. During the height of the pandemic, he invites a crew of his closest confidants, his closest friends, uh, to his private island to take place in a weekend of this uh murder mystery massive puzzle type game that he's elaborately set up in this crazy high-tech uh private island and for some reason benoit blanc is also invited to this and he's not really sure why but he's soon to find out and as the as the weekend unfolds events take place people don't make it all the way through the weekend (laughs) and it's up to our detective to solve the mystery and that is vague but purposely purposefully so i'm not going to go in a lot to the story here i will touch on the writing um but not exactly what the writing is writing about because it is obviously a whodunit it's all about the mystery and and luckily knives out and 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 glass onion is playful enough that it it, it can be about more you can really just watch it for the humor alone and it, and it's a uproarious witty comedy at times or you can watch it for the mystery and that's satisfying you can watch it just for the performances and that's satisfying so the writing is interesting enough that it's it's not hinging on the surprises and the twists and the reveals totally blowing your mind i don't Mm -hmm. think that all the reveals of this movie blew my mind that much even in knives out i don't think that it was like it i didn't walk away thinking that was the most shocking thing i've ever seen it was the way in which they unfolded and the mm-hmm. subversive ways Johnson chose to lay out his story and deconstruct his story where you just really feel like you're in the hands of a master of this genre. He mm-hmm. knows the craft of audience expectations of who's done what and who blame can go to and this and that. And he's able to kind of toy with us and mess with things and flip things around. And even if it's not as ah gotcha moment revelation and shocking as some people might expect a whodunit to be mm-hmm. they're still really fun and really playful to kind of have all these things come to light so with that being said i i do enjoy the mystery here and i had a lot of fun watching it unfold and watching it and unpacking it with our detective and with our characters but that's really as much as i'm going to go on the mystery itself i will say once again that the writing is on par with knives out it is dense and witty and uh just like at breakneck speed sometimes i think a second viewing is is great that it's on netflix because the second viewing would probably be really helpful to kind of catch all the little uh, nuances of the words and i'm sure even understanding certain elements of the story would would influence the way lines are delivered and the way uh sentences are said and and what is said specifically that would make it just repeatedly fun and engaging knives out uh, I've loved as a, a mystery where knowing exactly what happens does not take away at all from the enjoyment of mm-hmm. that experience. And I and I imagine a rewatch of Glass Onion would be about the same. Uh, so the writing is is absolutely fantastic. Ryan Johnson and and crew knock it out of the park once again. Uh, I want to talk about performances because this is yet another movie that is stacked full of actors some like younger maybe lesser known actors than the first one you don't have any well no that's not true you have some people that are kind of industry classics but like i said you have daniel craig of course you have ed norton in the the role of miles braun 
Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, uh, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwich, Madeline Klein, uh, and then of course no- Noah Segan, who returns in this movie as kind of a side role that I think is is really really fun. His character from the first was a side character, but one that was really entertaining. Had some of the funniest lines in Knives Out, and I'm glad to see that it looks like they are bringing him back at least for this one as a completely new character that really isn't involved too much in the plot, but it's just kind of around and, and services some, some pretty funny moments. Um, so that, that was really entertaining to see all these, all these actors do a terrific job. The characters that are written for them are so robust and over mm-hmm. the top and, and all of these, uh, you know, knives out movies have to do with at least so far quite wealthy uh people which then i think (laughs) the more money people have the more they're able to kind of lean into their personality and really show off that personality whether it be by hobbies or influence or or other things so these characters are already very strong personalities and then they're all uber rich and uh it just is like i said these these very larger than life characters so i think they're all just having a blast Mm -hmm. and i feel like as an audience we can tell how much fun they're having getting to play these characters whether every line delivery is is perfectly nuanced or believable it doesn't really matter too much honestly these are these are characters so outside of most people's range of of knowing how like wealthy or influential they could be that the way they act doesn't shouldn't really make too much sense to us because hmm. their lives are are so much different than ours so yeah. they're they're very entertaining it, it seems like they're having a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to watch. I will say, I don't think that they, the rapport between them didn't mesh as well for me as it did with the first, the first, these characters really felt like a family, the thrombies, no matter how wildly different the characters were as families tend to be Mm -hmm. that, you know, families have very different personalities within them. And it, and it kind of made sense that they were these people being a friend group, while not the most perfect friend group, I never fully bought that they would have ever really all become friends in the Mm -hmm. first place and people change and it's been a long time since they've been friends. They've been friends for years and years now. So people can change. And especially as they, they became friends and then all got very rich. Maybe that led to kind of differences in personalities and people growing further apart. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly divisions within the friend group that feel natural. I still just never really fully bought the idea that this was like a solid friend group that they were ever fully comfortable around each other, which they're not at times, but that they ever would have been at one point. So I never fully uh, bought them meshing. Um, but at the end of the day, each character is so individualistic that I think they just kind of represent their portion of the friend group and, and kind of stick out like a sore thumb all uh, individually. So it works in the context of the film. Um, this movie has a little bit more to say, I think, than the first one, or at least less subtle ways to uh, talk about this kind of eat the rich mentality mm-hmm. um, that any of the the commentary of these two films have. Uh, they're both very modern films, and whodunits in, in the minds of the audience are very classic films they're they're throwbacks and i think johnson one of the things he wants to do is apply those classic tropes and and styles to modern days and 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 kind of force people to recognize like these are current characters with current issues the stuff they think about is the stuff we're thinking about and it can feel kind of jolting the first at the very least the setting felt straight out of like a, a 60s like whodunit mystery in the old mansion mm-hmm. uh there was kind of a regal sense to the family that felt uh like a throwback a little bit so while you knew it took place you know there were iphones and there were smart cars you knew it took place in 2019 it still felt like a little bit vintage whereas this film really i mean especially from the opening montage where we kind yeah. of see each of these characters where they're at in their own lives in in, in 2020 when it takes place mm-hmm. um it just is a it almost feels a, abrupt uh how modern it is even mm-hmm. truly taking place during uh the, the pandemic. pandemic and yeah. referencing that mm-hmm. luckily it doesn't lean too much into the pandemic i'm kind of sick of of movies you know making that their whole premise but 
it certainly is a part of these people's lives in 2020 as it was for all of us. So I think that can be kind of arresting at the beginning of the film and seeing these characters that certainly act modern. <laughs> there were a couple line deliveries towards the beginning of the film that felt like a middle-aged man trying to write a Gen Z movie that didn't mm. quite sit right with me. They, it didn't feel authentic, but as they kind of settled into their roles and, and came together, it did feel natural. And I think Johnson does a good job at capturing kind of the modern zeitgeist surrounding our views on people with this type of money and influence without feeling too cringy. Um, so I think that could put some people off at the beginning of the film, but after a little bit, I, I kind of got into it and I just had to kind of get over that initial shock of like, whoa, this is incredibly modern, like almost forcefully modern. I'm I'm not allowed the the luxury of saying, well, this is kind of a throwback. These characters are like this, but they're also from the 60s. It was like, no, these characters are like this and they're alive right now, or mm -hmm. at least some of them are. Um, <laughs> so I do like the style and I think that the commentary, while not very subtle in this film is just having a lot of fun. It's, it's poking and asking questions equally as much as it's um, making fun and, and messing with the idea of characters like this. So it's not overly preachy in any way. And it works really well within the context of the style of the film and of the story. It's fun to see a film of this genre with these tropes stylized, very modern um, visually and in its sound design and in its music, it is 100% up to date. And, and it's kind of a, a juxtaposition. It feels like at first, but it ultimately gels really well. Uh, other than that, I, I had a couple notes. I was looking into who shot the film and who did the music. I, I didn't know this. The composer, uh, Nathan Johnson, is actually the cousin of Ryan Johnson and has been doing mm. movies with him really since the beginning and does a fantastic job. This movie didn't stick out to me too, too much, but I do remember the, the score for Knives Out being a huge standout in that film. So good for Nathan Johnson. Um, I hope he continues to <laughs> develop his career as a composer. And shot by Steve Yeldon, who does once again a pretty good job. I think it's it's a tough job to visually tell the idea of a of a murder mystery of of characters, you know, sneaking through hallways, trying to listen in on conversations that are happening on the other side of a door or whatever, to shoot that in a way that feels like, oh, this is taking place in 2020 in modern mm -hmm. days. And doesn't feel like so ridiculous and obvious. Like we watch a movie from the sixties and we see a character leaning into a doorway while two other characters loudly have a conversation in the other room about how they heard someone stabbing someone at whatever time. And it's like, this is just silly. Those people would see this guy like listening to them. No one would be talking that loud about something, yeah. but we understand that it's the 1960s and you can't cut that much. So this is just kind of what has to happen. But now to do that, it's like, how do we do that without feeling silly? And I think he, he does a good job visually at telling the story, keeping the mystery alive and keeping pace with all these reveals and twists and turns uh, while feel, still feeling very sleek and very modern. And, and it fits the vibe of this tech heavy uh, island without, you know, feeling overly cheesy or anything like that. So overall, I, I really like the film. Um, Again, I'm just happy that that this franchise exists. I can't wait to see more from Johnson and from Daniel Craig. If I could fault the film majorly in one way, it's that it just simply doesn't have enough of Benoit Blanc. I think mm. he's just such an amazing character, and we don't quite to get to see him go on on quite the same monologues and runs that we got in Knives Out, and those are just my my favorite bits. So, uh, not not really a major fault because I do think the other characters are really done well and it makes sense that while Benoit Blanc is is the person figuring out the story he's never the he's never the like audience uh surrogate for the story we're always mm -hmm. kind of given another main character mm -hmm. um and I do like that that it's it we don't get too much of him but sometimes I just like a little more so sure yeah cool. I don't have too much to add. I thought it was a fun watch. Um, this one felt a little more like silly and over the top to me than the first one. Um, but 
I feel like that fits and was appropriate with the the characters of this one. Um, Kate Hudson was a particular standout for me. I thought that she just, I don't know, I feel like she kind of embodied her character really well. I feel like they all did, but um, she in particular... I just really enjoyed in yeah. in this kind of role. Um, I was a bit surprised by Madeline Klein, who is the girlfriend of Dave Bautista um, and is significantly younger <laughs> than mm-hmm. all of them. I know her from her performance on Outer Banks. Um, so again, was interesting to see her kind of um, in the same space as some of these like incredible heavy hitters, heavy hitters that we yeah. have. Um, and I feel like she did a, a decent job with her, her role and what she was given. Um, however, Janelle Monet for me was just kind of okay. She wasn't, mm. um, she wasn't a standout for me. So I don't know if that is just her, if it was her character, I'm not sure. Um, but I struggled a little bit with, uh, with her. So I, I, I can was... understand that. I think in Knives Out, I loved Anna de Armas and yeah. I, I had already known her work, but that was the role that I think the world totally. really oh, fell in absolutely. love with her. Yeah. Even though most people knew her face or, or, or knew of her, that was the role that really launched her career. Yeah. Um, and that film genuinely on rewatches has me like emotional with her character at the mm-hmm. end, like t- to the point of on the verge of tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that Janelle Monae's story, I don't know about yeah. her performance, but sure. her story and her character really wrapped me up in the same sensational way yeah. that Anna Darmus's character did. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't fault Monet, but I do understand that sentiment of, of not quite connecting there as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was Joseph Gordon-Levitt, did he have a role in Knives Out at all? Do you remember? Uh, no. Because it seems as though he's a, a frequent collaborator of Ryan Johnson. And yeah. he does have a little bit of a role in this one. He, did you know this? He mm. is the the voice of the gong. The gong oh, really? that chimes every hour on this like private island um, is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So kind of fun and makes me huh. wonder if he did have a role in Knives Out and it was just so small that... Um, we just didn't know about it, but yeah, I don't, not that I know of. And just with how a little bit less like tech E, uh, knives yeah. out was, there's sure. less opportunity for stuff sure. like that. Like this one has a lot of AI voices and, and yeah. stuff like that. So you have opportunity to slip a, a famous actor's voice yeah. in there. So I, I didn't know that about this. There's also a, a surprise cameo from Ethan Hawke in the film, mm-hmm. which was not even planned. He was apparently in Greece shooting, yeah, shooting. Night, and they yeah. just said, come over, which Top I actually, three. I didn't really like. I usually love like a quick little cameo yeah. from an actor. I adore like Ethan yeah. Hawke, but his character just acted strange and it, it was felt weird. like it. Maybe, I, I, and I don't know, maybe he felt like, oh, this is like mystery movie, kind of supposed to be mysterious. But like, yeah. it, it felt like the character was like hinting at something or leading towards something, but ultimately really was just a dude who just kind of acted strange. And yeah, <laughs> it was very <laughs> odd. It was a little distracting to me for a second, but yeah, not, not too distracting, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, Hugh Grant also has a little bit of a role he um, does, yeah. in this as well as yeah, as Benoit Blanc's partner, which is yeah. kind of fun and a bit of a twist for Benoit Blanc. So it was it was fun to have some different little cameos, even um, in the beginning kind of portion when everyone's in their COVID bubbles and Benoit Blanc is in his his dark days just mm-hmm. playing among us with his friends over zoom um even the the various people who are on that zoom call with him um just super super fun that they yeah. got to have a little cameo so yeah definitely all right everyone well those were our thoughts on uh glass onion and knives out mystery currently on netflix a netflix original so it will be there forever presumably um but don't don't uh wait around go check it out it's it's such a fun movie it really is all these movies are so fun and fresh and original and they're just a good time you can watch it virtually with anyone i i really can't think of any audience that would really dislike any of these films so Mm -hmm. go check out uh glass onion a nice out mystery and let us know what you thought 
All right. Well, the movie that I will be reviewing today is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And of course, is written and directed by none other than the most darling Guillermo del Toro, which I am going to have to shorten his name to just del Toro because it's just a mouthful to say over and over. Um, And it's actually co-directed with Mark Gustafson and co-written with a a number of other individuals. And of course, is ultimately based off of the original uh, Pinocchio story. But this one is a bit of a different take and of course is del Toro's take. Um, So in this Pinocchio. It follows the story of woodworker Geppetto, of course, uh, voiced by David Bradley, who I know probably most recently from my time watching Game of Thrones as Walter Frey. Um, and then, of course, he's Filch from Harry Potter. Do you know him from anything else? Those are like the two big uh, ones. Broadchurch, that... the first season of Broadchurch. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Broadchurch was great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Anywho, Geppetto in this story loses his son Carlo in a tragedy of war, and in the midst of Geppetto's grief, he, of course, builds this wooden boy um, who he hopes will kind of, well, really, it's in this drunken stupor that he kind of uh, creates and builds this wooden boy, um, and a mm, fairy, angel, I don't Mm -hmm. know what she is technically um kind of grants his wish to to make this wooden boy um come to life and that is pinocchio so uh as pinocchio is made and living he too has a lot of choices that he has to make um a lot of moral choices a lot of choices about his own life about his relationship with geppetto um so it is certainly a bit of a a different take than probably the uh disney pinocchio that you may have grown up on um but i actually really loved this adaptation and And would encourage you, if you're going to watch this, which I believe you should, also, this is a Netflix original, so you probably have access to it. Um, I would encourage you to go into it with fresh eyes. I think anytime you go into um, a movie where you're familiar with the story or have some sort of nostalgic connection to it, it can be difficult to engage in something that is like similar but different um and so that would be my (laughs) my encouragement to you go in with an open mind go in knowing that it's going to be different um but that that it could be really beautiful so if i had to rate this i i think i would give it like an eight out of ten i really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. uh and thought it was really lovely so some things that i did enjoy about it it certainly has some gorgeous animation um, that really beautifully uses stop motion. This was probably one of the more surprising elements of this film for me because uh, stop motion is not something that I typically gravitate towards. Um, I don't feel like I have a, a very wide knowledge or breadth or enjoyment of stop motion. So um, that honestly made me a little bit skeptical going into it. Not that I didn't, I don't know, not that I didn't think it would be beautiful. It's just not my typical like animation style that I would gravitate towards. Um, But this is truly beautiful and is so incredibly impressive to watch some of the behind the scenes of how this movie was made. Um, I think they said they shot some like 1000 days that they shot to create this movie. And it is just like mesmerizing, mesmerizing the tiniest of little moves of these different of these characters that they've built in different sizes. Um, I, one of our former students is a, is a sculptor and makes a lot of um, pieces for films and sets and, and whatnot. Um, And just the artistry that goes into creating all of these different characters, the different um, faces that show all the emotion. It's just 
wild. So Netflix also has a little bit of a, just like a short little behind the scenes movie um, of how they made it. And so I would encourage you to watch that as well, just um, for your own knowledge and appreciation mm-hmm. of it's just really the, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. The time that goes into creating something like this. So um, secondly, the score is done by the incredibly accomplished Alexander Desplat, um, who of course did shape of water. He did little women, the French dispatch. Um, I, I loved the score. I thought it was fantastic. It's very whimsical, um, but is also like appropriately dark when it needs to be. And I think really complements the fairy tale that we're watching in front of us really well. Mm. Um, It does have a couple of songs, like, (laughs) which is funny to say when talking about the score, but like some of the characters have songs that they sing. It's a musical. Um, It's a musical. I didn't love most of those, (laughs) or I feel like, I feel like they're not necessarily songs that I want to be stuck in my head or singing all the time. Uh-huh. Um, so that's where the music kind of faltered for me. Although Geppetto has a song that is really beautiful and that one I probably could listen to, but um, the other ones just didn't feel like they have as much of the re-listenability um, as some other kind of classic maybe Disney musicals, but overall the score really lovely, really beautiful. Um, Our, who I would identify as three of the leads were really fantastic and carried so much heart and emotion in the portrayals of their characters. As I mentioned earlier, David Bradley plays Geppetto and um, I feel like Geppetto in this story just has a lot that he has to hold emotionally. There's a lot of um, grief, a lot of fear, but also this um, transition of like love and his heart softening. Um, and David Bradley feels like such a a gruff character. Like yeah. he he as a person just feels like hardy and and rough yeah harsh um and i i felt like he did a really great job of of capturing the whole person of geppetto in this story um a boy named gregory mann voices pinocchio slash carlo um geppetto's son that he loses and i thought he was also really lovely i think he obviously is a young character and i think this is one of the first things that he's done um so so brings out the youth of pinocchio uh in a really great way and then lastly ewan mcgregor was the cricket and I think I would have just loved to have more from him. He yeah, he's wonderful. His, his, he's wonderful. He, mm-hmm. um, in the role of this cricket is great. His voice is great. Uh, but I wish that we would have just got to have more from him. Mm. Uh, and then the last thing that I'll say is that this truly is a movie for all ages. I think when I heard that del toro was doing it i wasn't totally convinced that it was gonna be like a kids movie i thought Mm -hmm. oh this could go really dark this could be really horrific this could be really weird um and it really was just the most lovely little film that i totally think is acceptable for children but also certainly does hold a lot of really mature themes um that i think could pull in more of that adult audience and maybe hold you in a little bit of a different way than like a classic kids movie um, might. And I think especially if you're a parent, I would imagine that this, um, yeah, would just hit real hard. So I personally found myself very wrapped up in the emotion of the film. Um, But but genuinely multiple times throughout this movie, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself like, wow, I can't wait to show this version of Pinocchio to my kids one day. And of course, not, not, not showing the other version of Pinocchio because that is special um, in and of its own right. But I think this is just such a like unique and, and special version of it that um, yeah, that I, I hope will catch on um with 
what I hope will become nostalgic for, for people one day, um, and kind of earn its way into, into families and into homes. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's really lovely. So anything you would want to add into it before I go into a couple of the things I didn't love? Sure. I would just, uh, echo that point. I mean, Del Toro has said throughout kind of the awards campaign, he's said a similar phrase multiple times where, it's it's uh, a movie not for kids, but you can certainly watch it with them. Yeah, and that's definitely the note that it strikes. It does deal with mature themes of 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 death and and loss and and war and um just divide and 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 so much that I think uh he breaks it down in a way that are able to create uh, consumable messages for really people of all ages, um, simple ones about you know, loving your friends and treating people, uh, equally for, for kids and even Mm -hmm. more nuanced ones about war and fascism and, and, Mm -hmm. um, the greater workings of our, our world and how we interact with each other for, for older audiences and for adults. So really, really wonderful. And, um, all the performances are great. The, the score is great. It's, I mean, as you would expect, just such a well put together film, but I truly cannot stress enough the artistry on display mm-hmm. here in terms of the stop motion, leave it to Del Toro to not only kind of put out one of the most uh, beautiful stop motion films I've ever seen. What is truly the oldest form of animation, but elevate uh, the medium and the art form at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, stop motion has been around as long as, as film has, as long as, as animation has. And it's just such a unique uh, experience where you know, nowadays with digital environments, this is more and more the case in some regards, but in a lot of practical shooting, you are capturing an environment and you can alter that environment. You can tweak things to, to create your world, but you're capturing that in camera. Whereas stop motion, you are building the world quite yeah. literally, quite yeah. physically. And, and, and I also would encourage watching the 30 minute special they did on the, on the behind the scenes. Cause that just kind of informs uh, more of the the artistry and, and yeah. the literal hard work and labor that goes uh, into capturing something like this and the science behind it and and the art behind it and everything is so fascinating mm-hmm. and so beautiful. The fact that they are able to just sit with the idea of this and then quite literally go and build it and build it yeah. in a way that tells this gorgeous story is mind-blowing to me and it's so mm-hmm. cool to see on screen and um, so cool to kind of see how it's done. So yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we went to the Academy Museum back in October in, they have like an animation section and um, it talked a lot about the history of that, of, of stop motion and, and how that was the yeah start of animation. So um, just really amazing. I think I also saw something somewhere that this is now the longest stop motion film um really? yeah it does out there. just over two hours so yeah which is not, again you know, just just amazing yeah so. something like nightmare before christmas is just above like the 70 minute mark kind of thing mm-hmm. like, quite mm-hmm. a short film which makes sense with the amount of frames that are going into it like totally. you said some thousand days of shooting or whatnot yeah. is just mind-boggling and, and yeah. kind of ridiculous to think about yeah yeah um, a couple of the things that I didn't love as much. One of, I mean, I already mentioned this. Um, outside of Geppetto's song, I didn't love some of the musical numbers. Um, and again, maybe some of that comes with time. But upon first watch, I didn't, I didn't totally love them. Thankfully, there are only a few of them, so it doesn't by any means taint the overall uh, movie for me. But um, yeah, I think whenever there is a, a musical number, multiple musical numbers. You want it to be something that's catchy and that you just hum along to. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe that will come with time. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned is that there is um, this theme and through line of fascism in the film. It, it has to do with the time period and where it takes place and uh, and all of that. I didn't totally care for that storyline I didn't feel it was totally necessary. Again, I know that it's setting up time and place and um, giving context. And certainly, yeah, is important for certain elements of the film 
of course, but, um, yeah, was just an interesting storyline, I think, to include in a movie like this. Um, so personally probably could have done without that, but minor compared to, uh, the rest of the story, but anything else that you would critique? Yeah, I think, well, I don't think that the, the war kind of subplot, um, is wholly necessary. I do think that it provides an interesting backdrop and illustration to a story about children and about innocence. And, mm-hmm. and Del Toro has done that multiple times throughout his career, most notably with Pan's Labyrinth and, and having that be this, this magical um, fairy tale that this, this young girl is going on all while this war happens around mm-hmm. her, kind of whether she understands that or not. Um, I think juxtaposing childlike innocence specifically and in this case uh pinocchio essentially having the understanding of a newborn in some ways while these greater global uh, politics and stuff are are kind of taking place and happening around him um it just provides interesting thought and discussion for older audiences and i yeah it didn't i didn't absolutely like love it i didn't dislike it anyway mm-hmm, it didn't feel mm-hmm. necessary but yeah um it always does kind of provide inter- interesting commentary there sure um and then also what you were saying about the musical numbers i do agree besides maybe one or two songs nothing really stuck out to me as particularly enjoyable uh, not that they were unenjoyable. Yeah, it's it's a pretty light on the musical musical, mm-hmm. uh, as in you know I would say there are s- long stretches of no singing or sure. anything like totally. that. Totally, totally. Um, you you kind of forget at times that it is a musical until someone breaks out into a song and you're like, oh okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the movie has to do with performing on stage and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. it works elements of Pinocchio is a circus performer and uh, now he's singing a song through this montage of seeing him perform and and whatnot. I personally, in my opinion, I don't gauge uh, like a musical songwriting ability, good or bad, based on how Mm -hmm. much I would want to listen to those songs outside of the musical. Mm -hmm. Because I think that ultimately the goal of any songwriter for a musical should be to have that character's song or those characters' song to be an honest expression of what their character feels or desires or, or thinks during that part of the story. And I think that these songs are for them. And, and in that case, it really just does serve as a story. I think in an ideal world, in terms of musicals really catching on and being a hit, you kind of meld that line between yeah. um, being a, a good you know, expression of where the characters are at and also being a catchy tune that people sure. want to take with them outside of the story or or outside of the context of the film. This doesn't necessarily succeed in that, but I do think that it all the songs work well in their place within the film. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. No, I don't. I think that's about it. That's all I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, Del Toro won for Pinocchio at the Golden Globes mm-hmm. and in his acceptance speech, he really, which I feel like you kind of referenced earlier, he really, um, harped on this idea that animation has, has for so long been seen as a children's genre and Mm -hmm. he was so adamant about the fact that it is not like it is a a form of cinema it's not a genre it's a medium Mm -hmm. for for telling stories and um i yeah just really appreciated that i feel like there was a similar sentiment um maybe a couple or maybe when encanto came out i don't remember what what animated film it was but it was being talked about at an award show of like oh like anyone else so sick of hearing that soundtrack because it's all my kids want to watch and I think I think has has really just been made to be seen as like a kid's genre um and it can be so much more than that so I appreciated his his words on that and just his um advocating for for animation so yeah, and I think it's interesting. And then you have categories like best animated feature at the Oscars, which for a long time is kind of viewed as like best kids movie. Yeah, is really what it is. But I would love to see that step into truly like who has advanced the yeah. art form of animation. Of animation, and mm-hmm. of course that goes so broad. And so that's sure. why there are 
award shows just for animation alone because stop motion or 2D animation or 3D animation are three wildly different styles and ways to approach um, filmmaking and storytelling. Excuse me, but I I would love to to see that category really evolve into whether it is a story aimed at kids or a story aimed at adults. Think of like Flea from last year mm-hmm. being not only a very adult film, a very serious film, but also a documentary as well. Totally, it is also animated. I love its placement in there, and it, mm-hmm. and it really never stood a chance to win because in people's minds, this category is the best kids movie. Totally. So Flea is kind of like, yeah, we get it. It was pretty looking, but like, what is it doing in there with uh, these right. Pixar films? Right. However, I would not that, and, and Pixar films, lots of them deserve to be in there. I would love to see that get moved on. And ultimately at the end of the day, you know, kids don't really care who wins the Oscar. They totally, like, whatever. <laughs> so we don't need to have a, a, a category servicing them. And even if we do want to, okay, yeah, make a kids movie. Um, you know, make an, a, a category mm. of the Oscars that is yeah. best kids movies. And then, right. you know, the, the Marvel movies can win that every year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, truly, I kind of think that. But, uh, you know, make that category. You can have that category. That's fine. But keep that ideal ideology yeah. of it being for kids out of out of animation and, and talk it around the, the medium, not the genre of animation. So, yeah, uh, you know, I think as uh, animation gets more more prevalent amongst adult genres as people have more access uh as as time goes on to be able to make things like that mm-hmm. um you don't just have to go to work at disney to be able to make animated films anymore yeah um i think that more and more we'll see that kind of devolve and see what people's ideas can be brought to light via different styles of animation so it's really yeah. exciting mm-hmm. really exciting and, and great to see popular directors big yeah. directors yeah you know taking the time to say i really want to make this project animated i'd love to see more directors um do stuff like that yeah like of del toro's of del toro's scale so really all right well those are our thoughts on two netflix originals both of these movies are available on the app with the big red n on your phone so <laughs> go watch them now Stop, you know, pause this and go watch them. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Both wonderful films, truly, truly. Uh, and, and honestly, both, while wildly different, films for the whole family. Really fun films for sure. the whole family. Yeah. So go check them out. Let us know what you thought. Until then, watch all the movies you can, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. I don't care how we get treated, honestly. Mm. Um, and uh, we should get treated worse. I'm actually petitioning that we get treated I'm worse. I'm being treated too well here. Too well, yeah. 